but it's a lot easier to uh, you know to scale, and what's a lot easier to uh, you know to manage is you know processes, processes and oversight, and we are crazy about you know managing every last you know process that we want to roll out and that we build out is from start to finish. We want it to have it from scratch. We want to have that this process can be implemented, you know, properly and not just, you know, thought up in some boardroom somewhere. You know, it sounds great on paper. We launch it day one, we have a call with the facilities, and then we let it run. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live recording of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that you've learned to turn to, to find out real information, things that you cannot Google, real information about what's going on in the nursing home industry, best practices and inside information, literally available nowhere else. In today's episode uh, on the Nursing Home Podcast, we actually have a very uh, interesting episode for you with Avi Richman. Avi has a background in nursing home administration and is now the director of labor and management and recruiting for Vita Healthcare Group. And those of you who are following the podcast know that we've been focusing on staffing quite a bit uh, recently because of the challenges that it imposes on the nursing home industry. So Avi, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Shmuel. So been a long time coming. I'm this has been... Glad. This sure has been. There's been a lot of back and forth, and I'm glad that we're finally doing this. So before we jump in too far, um, Avi, if you don't mind taking just a, a small bit of time, uh, the listeners know who I am from other episodes, but just a little bit of how you got to doing what you're doing right now professionally, and then we'll jump into the episode. Sure. So I started off, um, you know, like many in our uh, our community and in our industry, you know, as a in administration or some administration i started off i was an assistant administrator uh, in a small in a small facility in uh you know middle of nowhere pennsylvania mm-hmm. and i it, it actually was a great opportunity um the uh my first boss really really could have given a master class on how to uh you know imbue and share the you know for the next generation of uh you know healthcare uh administrators and uh you know executives he really really understood how to, you know, let me kind of take the bull by the horns and just kind of do my own thing and really grow. It was like kind of the perfect Petri dish for, uh, you know, for, for experimentation and learning and growth as, uh, you know, nursing home administrator, um, very small facility again. And within four or five months, I was very comfortable there. And I got a call from someone over at Vita Healthcare Group. They were looking for it was kind of, this is going back a year and a half. This was kind of, you know, just as operators were trying to adjust to the pandemic and really, you know, this position that I have, director of labor management, was is kind of a select few, uh, you know, groups had this position, you know, prior to two years ago. 
So Vita was, you know, my, you know, my company was kind of, you know, at the forefront of recognizing the need uh, to spin this off of, you know, the, the typical VPO, RDO, you know, portfolio of, uh, you know, of responsibility and, you know, create its own, you know, department and division. Uh, got it. Got it. So you've been doing this uh, ever since in that position? Yeah. Got it. Got it. Very interesting. So, so, I mean, just to, just to your point, uh, before we jump in too far, like we were just saying before we went live, you know, for, for many operators find that, you know, it used to be census, 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 you know, get up, get up the census, you know, bring in more revenue, get in more, you know, higher pay, higher payers, um, and be able to make sure that, you know, bring the revenue so that the business can stay afloat. Now, you know, there are, it's not just now, it's been going on for a while already, you know, people are saying one second, can we actually support the census that you're bringing in, right. even if census is not an issue, you know, do we have the staffing to support that? Right. So like, and for some people, it became more important the amount that you're, they're spending on agency overtime bonuses. You know, it can be can be all the Medicare's that they're getting can can be completely offset. Um, you know, but uh, by the staffing costs that they have. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's the bottom line. You know, the actual PNL you know point of view. I think most of the time. Uh, if you have a very, very healthy census, that could be offset. But I think that kind of leads to, to two other points that, you know, it's not just that people are being hampered by the costs. For example, in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, you know, they're going to cap them at, you know, they, they cap the census. There are, there are facilities that can only run at 60, 70 percent because of, you know, mandated staffing levels that they will not allow them to accept, you know, residents, um, you know, if their staffing levels fall dangerously short, whether that's the correct or incorrect thing to, to do morally. Uh, there are many states where they will not do that and people will staff at dangerously low levels. Um, so you definitely have that aspect where, the, you know, it'll be mandated, you know, whether you like it or not, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to cap your admissions. Um, and then there's also the, you know, the fact that I think we've even discussed this in the past. There's the fact of the way that we've kind of taken this industry you know, and uh, very, very much, you know, was not designed for the way that, you know, that's necessarily being run in certain, you know, certain companies, certain, you know, groups of homes that are, you know, utilizing a very antiquated model with staff and a very antiquated model with, you know, long-term care. And they're, they're, the, the acuity is going up dramatically and everything's going up dramatically. And we're still trying to, you know, use the same staffing parts, the same staffing models and use the same nurses that are just not with the same training. It's just not a, you know, sustainable model at all. Okay. So now you, you bring up something which is, which is very important to discuss. Um, and this is, you know, if people, there's million different ways that people say it, but they say that the community hospital of yesterday is today's nursing homes. You know, yesterday's nursing homes, what they call them, you know, the little old ladies who were pretty much, you know, stable. And, you know, this is they need a little bit of assistance, a little bit TLC, a little social life. So, you know, mostly Medicaid, uh, not too much skills. So then the the nursing, the entire staffing, the skills, the need um, is completely different. Uh, now that we have these little mini hospitals, you're right. The, the if, if you take a, a regular hospital in any town, the United States of America, and any nursing home in the same place, like the staffing levels, the difference is staggering. The example I've given before on this show, and I'll give it again now, is I know personally when my son was in the NICU after he was born, and I was going back and forth from 
the nursing home to the NICU, Children's Hospital in Boston. You know, so it's one of the top hospitals in the world. So it's not a fair comparison. But at the end of the day, there was one nurse, uh, 12 hour shifts with two newborn babies. Now, yeah, the babies are there for a reason. Thank God, you know, my son is fine. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're doing very little. They had plenty of time to talk to us and show us pictures about their family and spend time. And when we were concerned, they were able to give us all the time in the world that we needed. And yeah, there were some other emergencies that, you know, we've seen go on over there, but they definitely, uh, at least from, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like they're way overstaffed. And that, it's not just that, it's the equipment, it's the actual facility. And as opposed to going back to the nursing home, where we just accept, accepted somebody with a brand new trach, the respiratory therapist is coming in at night to give a crash course to the nurses about what a trach is and how to manage it and how to try to get this person decannulated and to try to get them you know, not to need the trach anymore. And the therapy team is learning on the fly you know, pretty much what to do. This is while each nurse is responsible for 20 plus patients with CNAs that are not showing up pre-COVID and working with extremely integrated you know, equipment, working really hard just to get the basic equipment, the basic mask, the basic tubing, like each thing is a big deal. The, the, the cart that comes into the room you know, is 25 years old. And, and we, you know, thank God we were successful you know, with that particular patient. Um, but it's just like the, the resources available um, for taking care of similar type of patients is, is it couldn't be more different. And, and you're right, the staffing levels haven't changed and it hasn't changed, reimbursement hasn't changed. That's part of the root of the problem. We're still getting reimbursed at the wrong so levels. It's interesting. I actually was was kind of, as you were talking, I was, you know, I was, I was making, you know, the working mistake and I was, you know, trying to think of what, you know, how CMS was, uh, was um, you know, is actually responding to this rather than, you know, listening to everything that you were saying. But I did hear it. You know what you said, and you know. It's, uh, but I, I, I would beg to to differ on that point. I think that okay. CMS, I think that you see the whole the whole rehab, you know, focus of reimbursement is going away, and there's a much bigger emphasis on you know skilled for nursing. Um, I, I think that what hasn't caught up yet. I think that CMS is actually you know doing the correct thing here, um, and I, I think that just kind of to back up a little bit, you know, you'll hear about. You know, nursing homes. I think the the textbook you know case is that you know the you know the average hundred bed facility from 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 you know ten years ago would have would have you know four Medicare patients, uh, six managed care. You know, if you were lucky for you know ten percent you know skilled you know case mix, and it was a bunch of old nurses pushing carts like exactly kind of how you were saying before. Um, and now you're going to have, you know, you'll hear stories about facilities that, that are running the best operators. They know exactly what they're doing. They're running 37 skilled, 29 Medicare, you know, 17 managed, and they're doing a great job. And that's where the, you know, that kind of the high risk, you know, is coming from where you have this, this, this massive workload and the, you know, the patients that they're getting from, you know, Medicare, you know, are, are a lot sicker. Um, and that point will often be countered and you'll have people will say, well, listen, we're still having a hard time staffing our facility and we're 85%, you know, Medicaid. So I think it's a little more nuanced. I, I think both points are true. I think that there, that there are, you know, folks that are taking, you know, much higher level of acuity. And like you said, the respiratory therapist is going to be coming in at night giving a crash course. 
I think it's much more than that. I think that that the uh, hospitals are discharging patients, not necessarily skilled patients. They're just discharging patients. They're incentivized themselves to have a much shorter length of stay. And they're discharging patients that could be going directly to long-term care, to long-term care units, long-term care floors that are much, much sicker than they were five, 10 years ago. And I think overall, it's a good thing for the industry. I think it's getting people out of hospitals faster. And I think we should be getting people out of nursing homes faster and into home health. And, you know, people should be going to nursing homes less. My grandfather, you know, my grandparents, they're, you know, they're doing very well, you know, can I are they're in their, you know, their 90s and 80s and they're living at home and they had this very old school long-term health plan benefit and they were picking out which nursing home they wanted to go to. And I had to sit them down and say, you don't ever want to go to a nursing home. You want to, you know, build your, you know, your, your whole care plan that you should be at home as long as possible. Um, so I, I think we're just kind of seeing a downstream effect from the hospitals where the acuity is growing tremendously, not just in the skilled patients, but even in, the, in what we would typically call a long-term care unit. And we would say, mm-hmm. oh, you can staff that, you know, one to 30, you know, for nurses and one to 15 for, for CNAs. And we'll set the, the rehab unit. We'll give a little extra care to you know, but you know, it, I, I just think it's the you know just the the, the overall uh, you know sickness and infirmity of patients. It used to be we were kind of you know uh, high level you know uh, assisted livings for a lot of the residents. You're seeing less and less of that. So I, I, I just you know just to kind of get both mm-hmm. of those to. Uh, Right, right. No, I d- definitely hear that um, loud and clear. And, you know, the whole PDPM model definitely um, is is making that you can't just take, you know, the little old ladies and put them into therapy and take advantage of that in order to maximize uh, reimbursement. But at the end of the day, nursing homes still cannot afford to pay the prices that hospitals are paying. They can't afford, uh, even with the shift, and as they're not paying more dollars to nursing homes. They're just choosing how the dollars are spent on nursing homes. So I agree with you. And we actually have a couple of great episodes um, about, you know, this particular change. We had Mark Zimmett on the show. We had Stephen Littlehill on the show. Maybe a couple others talking about this specific change. And maybe we could link up to that in the show notes. But they still don't have, you know, the, the same level of resources unless, like you said, if they're maximizing instead of, you know, the four, five, six, ten, you know, skilled um, residents that have more 30, 40. So you're right. Then, then the, re- the revenue is going to be that much higher, but then you still run the, you know, the chances, the risks, but m- maybe I'm going to just, you know, turn the conversation a little bit. There are, there are many, many people listening to the show um, and in the industry, whether they're listening right now, um, which we have people listening right now live on LinkedIn, but, and people are going and on Facebook as well. Um, but the real question is staffing is such a terrible, painful problem. And I, 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 in my opinion, I think there's two parts to the problem. One part to the problem is some people just getting people to want to work and getting people to want to work for you. The other part of the problem is the actual process, the recruitment process, where even if you have people in the pipeline, like are you really managing the process properly? So I, what would you say if someone wants something practical I mean, this is this is what you're doing for your company, and you know, you know, I'm working. Uh, you know, we have a company as well, Claude, to recruit, and we're doing this in our own way. What would you say are some practical things that an operator is really struggling with staffing can implement today to start um, dealing with the problem and alleviate some of the pressure? So, 
that's you know definitely something that that you know well this is why i came on um and i'm i'm very happy to talk about this um i think when you ask about you know specific a specific you know hiring uh tool you know how can we you know get folks to work for us how can we get folks to want to stay with us I think you're going to hear a lot of gimmicks. I think you're going to hear lots of, you know, party lines. I think you're going to hear all kinds of great ideas. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of guys sitting around, you know, changing the world in Yeshiva and the Irv and, you know, some dorm room somewhere, you know, guys are, you know, they, they have the best plan on paper. The problem is, is especially as you grow out, you know, the, you know, the company I, I, I work for has 50 plus, you know, centers. It, it, it's almost impossible to try to, uh, you know, scale your, your feeling and your vibe and what you, you know, think that you want your culture of a company to be, that's extremely difficult. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, that, that, that's extremely difficult. Um, but what, what we see is, is what's a lot easier to, uh, you know, to scale and what's a lot easier to, uh, you know, to manage is, you know, processes processes and oversight. And we are crazy about, you know, managing every last, you know, process that we want to roll out and that we build out is from start to finish. We want it to have it from scratch. We want to have that this process can be implemented, you know, properly and not just, you know, thought up in some boardroom somewhere. You know, it sounds great on paper. We launch it day one, we have a call with the facilities, and then we let it run. There's no process that that especially with the 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 um, the uh, the the spread out nature, the disconnected nature of uh, you know of this industry. It's usually a central corporate um, you know headquarters, and then facilities and centers spread out across multiple states. Um, and the decentralized you know um, nature of this business makes that that the only way to really have the procedures and processes that, that are put in place. And I think most of the people that are listening to this call are probably, you know, very smart and very articulate and they themselves can explain a process. They can, if they're in staffing, if they're, you know, whatever executive position that they're in the nursing home industry, they can most certainly come up, you know, with a pretty good idea how to solve certain staffing challenges or how to solve any, you know, challenges and explain it to their friend, you know, in the boardroom, put together a nice workflow and a nice email, send out a Zoom link and, you know, have a great meeting with your 13 centers. And then six weeks later, you know, get mad and call up your administrator and say, hey, you know, we have this great process. Why isn't everyone doing it? Right. And I think that's really where the focal point is. That it's very, very difficult to, 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 to follow up. And you'll hear this, you know, this is, you know, just business one-on-one. It's all about the execution. And it's very, very, very difficult to do that. But that's the only way that we've ever found success is with incessant follow-up. And if you have a, a, a program that you want to run, and again, there's hundreds and hundreds of different programs and nuances and, and, and tracking softwares and all kinds of things that, that you as an operator can come up with and you know, plan and, and try to execute, the only way that it will ever work is if you baby it and mother it and troubleshoot and be there 24 seven answering the dumb questions and getting on calls just to, to, to give a concrete example, we track our, our daily labor in a very, very, uh, 
you know, comprehensive spreadsheet. We get all kinds of information on there. Um, you know, we can pull information from, you know, our reporting systems and our time clock, but we have them do manual entry, all the schedulers in our facilities to track our labor. And when I started this, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, the idea was we're going to have some calls to roll it out. The, the schedulers are going to, you know, put it in and, you know, then I'll move on to the next project. And this is going to be just a one daily call with the facilities to ensure that this is happening. And then I'll be able, I'll be on to, to bigger and better things. It's two years later and I'm still having the same daily calls with my facilities to make sure um, I'm answering a lot of the same questions over and over again. But at the end of the day, we get real hard data from our facilities. And I know one of the biggest issues that operators are struggling with right now is, is the agency management piece. There are facilities that, that, you know, that feel that they're being, that there's a, you know, a five up to 10%, you know, uh, cushion in what they're actually being billed as to the hours that, you know, that the agency contractors are, are working. So whether our, Agency numbers are where we want them to be. They never will be. That you know, that's not the nature of, of this, you know, of this beast of this industry. I, I think that we're very, very, you know, competitive. I think that you know, many markets were well above, you know, the market standard. But well, you know, where we definitely know what's going on is that we're not waiting for our invoices to come in to see what the damage was, you know, six weeks ago. We know where we are. We know what the usage is on a day-to-day basis, and that's only because. The, the execution goes and follows the process all the way. There's no let up. There's no stop. There's no, it's never fire and forget with us. You got to follow it all the way through. Okay. So having a clear process, following the process, there's no set it and forget it. Um, being hands-on 24-7, uh, 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 you know, being there holding, holding their hands through the process, supporting them and holding them accountable. Um, you know, these are practical things that, that people can suggest. Are there any, let's get a little bit more specific. Okay. Uh, so really the, the, there's a couple of ways of looking at this, right? There's the operational way of looking at this, which is you want to make sure that financially you're not spending too much money on agency overtime and bonuses. And you, and at the same time, obviously you need the facility to be well-staffed. Um, and then there's the operational side of this. Right, so for the administrator or the DON, they just want to make sure that their patients are cared for. They they prefer not to use agency because they know that agency is bad. Prefer not to use overtime or bonuses because those are also bad. Uh, but then they they're looking for people. What 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 would you say to a facility? Um, I'm not holding you accountable here to know this because this is what everyone's trying to figure out. Uh, but let's say the issue is applicant flow. We just are not getting people. We got three CNAs who applied over the last month, two of them were, were not certified and the other one do not hire, or maybe was hired. Right. Um, so there's, there's obviously 101 different components and there's there, you know, if there was one thing that anybody could say, then we all would have figured it out by now. Correct. So there's, it's the, the, you know, the devil's in the details, as they say. So, you know, first of all, if an administrator said I'm not getting, you know, enough applicants, um, you know, that I usually am not so sympathetic. You know, obviously, if you go in there, and you see that, the, you know, they're really worth three applicants in the month of March or the month of April, then, you know, and, you know, the two of them lived in 
you know, we hawken, then, you know, that's a real issue. Um, so, you know, I think from a, uh, you know, that's not really at the facility level. That's not, you know, something that, that, that the facility can manage, how many, you know, applicants that they get. Um, I, I think a, a strong corporate, you know, recruiting team, a strong, you know, corporate sense of how to drive, how to properly manage. Indeed, there's no secrets. You know, I'm not, this is not like I have, you know, any industry secrets. It's just having a really good, you know, understanding of the, of the different advertising and network modalities and using them, you know, properly. Be willing to spend a lot of money on Indeed, on ZipRecruiter, Facebook, um, you know, LinkedIn. Um, well, LinkedIn is not as, you know, uh, relevant for the, the, the frontline staff, but um, on Instagram is a big one. Facebook is huge. Um, Spotify, it's just, you know, properly managing your campaigns and spending a lot of money. We'll get the applicants. I, we get a lot of applicants. Um, I, I think the, 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 the biggest, you know, the biggest issue and, the, you know, the, the, the thing that you can't teach and what gets lost is, is just the, you know, the hunger and the follow-up and the ownership at the facility level that you can't teach. You could, you could support, you could train, you could give all of the tools possible. And we have corporate recruiters that are, that are nonstop just scheduling interviews for, you know, for folks putting it on their calendar. Like our administrators are living the, the dream. Well, no one is right now, you know, in our industry, but as good as it gets, as far as the, you know, in this, you know, this field where there's a dearth of applicants, we're, you know, really, really, you know, head and shoulders above what I've seen a lot of our peers in the industry doing. But with all that, we're still using agency. I had a guy come in. We actually eventually hired him, but uh, he was working for a competitor. Um, and he came in to take a look at what we were doing. Um, and he saw just the list of interviews that we had scheduled, the people that showed up for interviews in one facility. And he's like, how is it possible that you're using agency in this facility? He's like, I would kill for this, you know, you know this level of applicant. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it really still needs high level facility execution. And you really need that administrators to really be bought in. And they have a million other regionals that are all telling them that they, you know, prioritize and that their department is the most important census collections, whatever it is, nursing, all the most important. And we, you know, I'm a staffing guy. We have to fight for, you know, for what's ours. We have to, you know, you know, if you're a staffing guy out there and you're listening, this is your department. You got to go to ownership. You got to, you got to, you got to go to, you know, to the facility. You have to go to your peers and you have to fight for priority because there's only a very limited bandwidth that these people can take in. Not these people that, you know, I don't mean to, to say that in a demeaning way. There's only a very limited bandwidth that we all can take in, right? We, you know, I myself, I'm, the director of labor management and recruiting for a nursing home group. And there's a director of, of, uh, you know, of accounts receivable. And there's a director of, you know, business development, but we expect the facility, the administrator to take in all of our priorities from all these different seats around the table to all be channeled through one seat. It's very, very difficult, you know, to do that. Uh, so it, it just really takes the only facilities I've seen reliably just turn themselves around and, Go from using when we started, let's say we had a facility that was using, let's say, 30 agency shifts a day, you know, half a million dollars a month, $400,000 a month in agency in some of our worst, you know, centers. And really turning that around to, 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 to using minimal agency, you know, $50,000 a month um, have been the administrators that are grinding it out, gutting it out, answering 
emails on the weekend, doing whatever it takes to really get their buildings fully staffed. They have to really, really want to get their facilities out of agency. But I think, you know, from a corporate perspective, uh, if your facilities are not getting, um, you know, you know, the applicants that you feel like they should be getting, if you have facilities that are still getting free applications for a nursing job, you know, per month, I think you have to really spend a lot more money and, you know, take a really good hard look at, you know, how you are, are allocating your, uh, your dollars. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, basically you're saying that, that at least in, depending on the size of the company, but it's a company or size, where there's a you know, strong corporate support in place. So then applicant flow doesn't fall on the, on the facility at all. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, spending the right money with the right, um, in the right channels. And then it's, and then, you know, the recruiters are setting up really in your case, you know, they are living the dream, but you know, all they got to do is interview the people that walk in the door and hire them. That's how they get out of agency pretty much from the facility standpoint. Um, I, I wouldn't say that the, 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 the setup you're, this, you're describing is, is the norm. I would say that's probably the exception as I'm sure you know, I mean, this is, this is where you come in and this is the value that you bring to the company is to have such a result. My question uh, it still is, if someone's a standalone facility, somebody does not have a big marketing budget. I'm not talking about someone who lives in rural town, you know, U.S., where there's literally four people. Because, you know, that can, be, that can be a whole different type of conversation. Uh, but there, there are people to work with, and, they, they're doing, and they're on their own pretty much. There might be some sort of weak corporate structure. Maybe right. it's two or three facilities. The administrators talk to each other. You meet up every six months or whatever it is. They don't have that strong. So again, this is not going to be specific about your company, but it will apply to other companies. What have you learned in your experience, in your role, that these people who kind of are on their own, they really are on their own, that they can implement in addition to just like what you said, you know, really grinding and hustling and, and making the most of every opportunity? I mean, I've... I'll add to that. If you, okay, fine, I'll let you go. I, I can name a few tools, but I, I would really be lying if I said that it was anything other than letting something else slide. Let something else go, push something else off your plate, and you have to really, really, really want it. You have to be there on the weekends. You have to treat each applicant. If you're in a standalone facility, then the whole first half of this podcast is out the window. If you have one facility, then you could impart your vibe and your – you know, if, if you have the smallest level of charisma and you can, you know, convince people that what you're selling, that the service that you're providing to the community is worthwhile and that they as employees will have a voice and that they can, you know, make a difference in your facility. And that's all you do. We are piloting in one facility. I'll, I'll give you some, you know, you're, you're digging for, for, for something. So I'll, I'll give you something. We just started in one of our facilities, very tough facility in a pretty rural area. Um, it's on, you know, it, it, it's a border facility. So it's cross state and that makes all sorts of licensure issues. Um, and what we just began there is, you know, we have a very charismatic young administrator and we instituted a, uh, a, a um, employee council. Um, and it's an employee council that, that is not like the resident council. Uh, you know, in name only, it, it's a really meaningful council. We have a very large employee retention budget that, you know, 
we decided as a you know as a company that we you know we'll never skimp we have food trucks we have all kinds of fun things that we do as a company but in this case we turn that over to the employees and they meet bi-weekly and they have full control of that budget they own that budget they can spend it how they like they can address concerns they can if there's the most common you know complaints besides for pay is there's never enough you know supplies on, on the unit well now instead of just grumbling about it and yelling at the nurse or your you know god forbid your patient now you have somebody that can actually affect change without having to go to the scary administrator who you don't feel like you have a connection to you can go talk to a pair to a gna a cna a nurse who can now actually who you feel like can not just grumble with you but can do something about it um and that's something that we feel will have a, a tremendous impact and it is having a tremendous impact um, because, because, you know, besides the fact that you could, that, that it's a amazing, you know, marketing tool, imagine your indeed ad said, you know, have a voice at the table, you know, come and work here and you could, you know, determine, you know, what you, uh, you know, what working in the, con in the conditions you will, you know, be under. Um, this is something that, that, you know, that, that besides for just being a, like you know a good marketing tool, which could be very gimmicky, this is something that really talks to people. You know, so if you have one facility, you know, have a town hall that you weren't forced to have because five of your staff members left. Have a town hall and you know nominate some folks that will not just you know foment drama you know in your facility and just you know you have to use a little bit of. Uh, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, you know, you, you want somebody that's a little level headed, but, uh, but it's, yeah. So for, uh, let me cut in here for a couple, a couple of points here. First of all, uh, it's such a simple concept, but I think that in, you know, as we're seeing in the comments that, you know, that this is, uh, th that's an amazing idea. It's so simple. Um, and, but I think even more important than the specific idea, and you're right, I am digging. That's my job as a podcaster is to dig for gold, and I smell all I smell blood here. <laughs> I'm going for it. Um, and as but besides for that, um, it's getting to the root of of what's going on here. For example, you know, I'm a manager of a company called Quality Recruit, as you know, and one of the things we do in the onboarding calls is I ask every single client what why should somebody work for you over the nursing home down the block? I can't tell you that nine out of 10 times, you know, the administrative DON, sometimes some from the regional team is on the call, whatever. It was just another nursing home. Yeah, a raise or this or that. But at the end of the day, you know, they admit right away, they're not sold that someone should work for them. It's a problem. I need somebody to work for me to fill my shifts. I don't really have a good reason why they should work for me over the person down the block, but that's my job and I have to make it happen. That's like an impossible situation. It's like, what are you supposed to do? If, you, if you're not sold on your own building, you don't have a good reason. So, and they're like, what should I do? I push to tire of the rates and we can't afford it or we're going to do it soon or it's a process. We tried this, we tried that, we tried the other thing. Um, and and, and it's, a, you know, it's a race to the bottom even when you are hiring the rates and reimbursement is not being adjusted accordingly. Here all the excuses. But what you're touching on here is a very good point. It's not just about the money. What there's a huge, huge amount of, of disloyalty, if that's a word, um, between employees and employers. And that's because there's a real disconnect. Their vo the voice not being heard is, is a big deal. 
knowing that when when there's an issue, I can go to someone and first of all and just be heard, really heard and understood, and then maybe actually implement change. And we can change the way we run the facility based on my feedback. I might not be looking down the block for an extra dollar an hour or because I could go to the agency who's going to pay me a little bit more and they're going to explain to me why, you know, financially I'm crazy uh, for, you know, for staying with the facility. So I think, uh, you know, if the only thing we discussed in this episode was just this one point, that don't just fight for attention, don't just fight that for the rates and the benefits, but get to the root of the reason what makes an employee want to stay at a certain place. And we could also, we could talk about the pandemic is over, un- unemployment is over, the pandemic benefits are over. So therefore, where is everybody? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. And there's no point in discussing that here. Much but, the great resignation, right? That's a much wider. Right, the great resignation, exactly. So everyone's starting all their, their unicorn startups. They're all in their, you know, um, in their infancy right now. And, you know, in two years from now, we'd have all these billion dollar companies. Highly doubtful. But whatever it is, people are, are doing jobs that fit with their passion. doesn't matter. Right now, there are people that are looking for nursing home jobs. And there are not enough people in the industry. And me and you are not solving that problem. Maybe a government's going to solve the problem. Maybe they won't solve the problem. But most people are responsible, not for the industry as a whole, but for their buildings, their company specifically. And you have to give them a good, strong reason to, to want to work for you, other than just dollars and cents. Because dollars and cents... It's the same currency. So right now, you make more sense. Uh, you know, it makes more sense for them to come and work for you. They might make more sense, in, you know, in five minutes to work down the block. But if they actually have a reason to want to work for you and they feel connected, they feel heard, they feel understood, and maybe a lot of other things, um, then not only can you help your your facility succeed, you can also maybe even help change the trend in the industry in general. Uh, is give people reason to want want to actually be there. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And like I said, you know, if we're talking, you know, on a one-off basis or, you know, I, I would cap it at six or seven homes um, where you really feel like you can impart your personality and your, you know, brand, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, upon, you know, your facilities, then then there's a lot of room there for, you know, for, you know, really adjusting, you know, the way... I look at it, and I guess the question that I always ask is, what is the nurse or the CNA or one of my unit managers, what's she feeling? What's he feeling when he sees the sign for one of my, you know, for one of the centers, you know, when they pull in in the morning, what's the, the first thing that they feel, you know, is it, you know, a sense of like a pit in their stomach, a sense of dread, a sense of, you know, another day here, or is it, you know, something that like, oh, wow, part of something. This is something that like, you know, I know I can, you know, there are people here I can rely on. There are people here that I like. There are people here that want to work with me and I'm doing a good thing here. I'm not just getting, you know, chewed up and spit out by a crazy fast paced environment that I didn't sign up to when I went to nursing school 15 years ago. Well, hey, you're really getting getting to the root of what makes people tick. And again, this is definitely not limited to nursing homes. Um, but what, what does it feel like? And I can tell you, as you're saying those words, what does it feel like? I'm thinking about the different signs that I used to pull up to. And <laughs> um, you're not my therapist yet. But I can tell you that some, some buildings, I feel that not in the stomach. And some of them are like, wow, you know, we really did good work there. Um, 
and it's true. And if I feel that way, as you know, as an administrator or even different roles that I've been in, I'm you know, obviously the staff feel a similar way too. And it could also be it could be neutral, like whatever. I have no connection here. They pay my paycheck. You know, I try to do my best. I take care of some patients. Maybe tomorrow I'll work. You know, sell on Amazon or something. Um, and that obviously is not is not going to help. And I'll. I know that we're going we're going a little bit over time here, but I'm going to try my luck if you don't mind. Uh, one one more point, and this, this conversation, I mean, we could do another whole podcast about this. Maybe we will if you're open to it. But one point I can tell you that I see personally from the work that we do is that we work really hard. Uh, we're pretty much just to say it out there, what we're doing in quality recruiting, what you're doing in house is very similar, right? I mean, you, you're doing all the process. Many companies are not the size. And they're not as strong as you know as as uh, as your company, so they can't um, they can't do that. So you know we come and we do it for them. But the frustrating part, and I'm curious to know if you see this, is that you finally bring the person in, they're finally on board, they're working, they picked up a few shifts, and then 30, 60, 90 days later, they jump ship. You spent thousands of dollars, tens of hours getting these people finally on board, and getting them to mix with everybody else. And, and then they're gone. You know, the retention piece is is huge, especially when it's the people you work so hard on. So anything to say about that? So I, 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 very quickly, you know, what I could say about that, and it's kind of a little bit of what I had, you know, originally, uh, you know, the first kind of the, the tagline that I, I sent over in that brief little, you know, that blurb that you wanted me to kind of put out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was about it was about it was about tying in the global oversight piece to the facility level to what happens at, at, at the facility, and I think that they're both very important. And I think especially once you go above the, the one or two facilities, and even you know really five, six, or eight, but it doesn't even have to be that many. Is the ability to react quickly to good data because you can't be everywhere, and there is a sweet spot where where I think where a lot of operators can outgrow their initial you know where they can have an immediate impact on every one of the facilities that they own and where they can, you know, impart themselves on every facility at the same time and they're stretched a little too thin. And then it's a kind of just like a game of whack-a-mole and it's exhausting and you can never, ever, ever get down to, you know, the root cause of things because you're just putting out fires. Um, And I I think that really, really good data that's coming in in real time um, is, is the way that you can effectively solve this and you can get out of, you know, you're not coming in and hitting a trend, you know, 60 days in or, you know, even 45 days in, you could really see what's going on on a week by week basis. And you could go down and you could, you could spend some time where it has to be spent before things get out of control. And you asked me about retention and about, you know, the culture of a facility. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, and this is kind of the hardest part. Facilities all start, with, you know, nursing retention starts with the people that are running the nursing home. It's not the, it's, it's not the owners. It's not the regionals. It's not me. It's the administrators and the, the DONs that are the bosses of these people that are in the buildings every day. They're the ones that are promoting their work environment. And it's a very tough time to say hire good administrators and hire good DONs, but that's what you got to do. You have to have good nursing leadership. And I know you know, let's not talk about, you know, unit managers and supervisors. And they're also all very, very important. But to have, you know, to, to support, to give as a regional, if you're a regional on this call, the goal is really, really, and it took me a while to, to believe in myself. I said it a lot before I believed it. 
our job is not to fix things. Our job is not to, to, to be the big hero that saves the day. Our job is to, to really, really support and free up as much as the, of the administrator's time so we can see what he has to see quickly and he can spend his time, you know, not being, you know, reactive himself or herself and really impart their brand and their, cause these people are not, you know, they got to that point in life cause they believe in something. It's not, you know, if you've been an administrator for, you know, for a, a, a long time, the one common denominator about a lot of administrators, they really like what they do at least before COVID and they really, and they'll sit there and they'll keep the, you know, they'll keep you in their office talking and talking and talking. There's no, there's no one more talkative than a nursing home administrator. And talkative people are people that have a lot to share. And these people, they have a lot to share. And people like to work for somebody that has a brand and has a vision and has their own unique flavor and has a, you know, they could be very tough people. They could be very regimented, but they have something that they believe in and that you're showing up to fit into their system. And if you like it, great. And if not, not. But that is very attractive to a lot of people. So our goal is really to make sure that we're empowering the leaders on the ground with the quickest data, the best data, the best processes that they can, you know, just spend time doing their job, which is, you know, running facilities and not, you know, being on calls with corporate all the time and getting yelled at for, for census numbers. And then no wonder that they're losing all their people. Their people are, are not working for anybody. It's leaderless. It's, you know, it's the, the, the it's, you know, the, the, the inmates are, are running the asylum. We have to let our, our administrators lead. Amen. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, because th th that is all too often that is not what's happening. I mean, it's been amazing having you on, on the podcast. I know it went, went uh, significantly past, uh, you know, what we usually do on this um, on the show. But just because yeah, there's so much real world experience that you're sharing you know, with our listeners and followers of the show. Um, I really appreciate your time. And it was definitely worth uh, it was definitely worth it was definitely worth the wait. Uh, to be able to have this type of conversation. Um, yeah, we really appreciate you sharing so generously and openly, um, you know, of your real world experience. Um, and before, before we let you go, any final thoughts uh, that you would want to leave with the listeners and, and uh, you know, before we close out this episode? Um, no, sure. It's just, you know, it's just been good chatting with you over the last, you know, few months. I think that you're doing a great thing here. And I, I really hope that your audience grows. I think a lot of people could, you know, benefit from these kinds of conversations. We're all, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Avi, for coming on the show. Really appreciate that. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.